plunging math scores. A look at the new report that shows how the U.S. continues to fall behind our peers in many industrialized countries. We'll have the results of a new global exam and what will it take to make the grade. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. Also ahead here today, how good grades are sidelining parents. The co-founder of Learning Heroes will join me to talk resources and steps for parents to get in the game, the results of their new report, and how to better understand report cards. Do we really understand what we're actually seeing? We'll uh, get into all that good stuff. And kids, sadly, get off your phones where they are banning cell phones in schools. The pretty strong message from a prime minister in response to plummeting literacy rates. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us. We're going to get to those stories and more in a moment. But first, if you are new to the show, welcome to Educate. We're here to take a deep dive into the central issues of education, providing criticism and positive solutions to problems. We're also showing you ways to get involved each and every day, to show up, to stand up, to speak up on behalf of our kids. As for me, my name is Liz Collin. I'll be your host here for the next hour. I am a Minnesota journalist, wife, a mom, and happy to be with you as we navigate this crazy world of education together. It's a ride we're on together, that's for sure, but it doesn't have to be so complicated, so we are here to help. Also, a quick unrelated note to this show, but feel free to catch my brand new documentary. It's called The Fall of Minneapolis. If you head to thefallofminneapolis.com, it's the truth about the case involving George Floyd. It's garnered millions of views so far. I served as the film's uh, producer, and I am the reporter as well. It is free to take in. Might make you mad. I'm going to give you a bit of a warning there. But it is important to know if you care about the future of this country. Again, it's thefallofminneapolis.com. So head there. About an hour and 45-minute film to take in. With that, our first story here on Educate, the headline, U.S. Students' Math Scores Plunge in Global Education Assessment. This story here is from Axios and made the rounds uh, all across uh, the the world, I should say, uh, this week. But the U.S. students lag behind their peers in many industrialized countries when it comes to math. This is according to the results of a global exam just released on Tuesday So why it matters. U.S. students saw a 13-point drop in their 2022 uh, program for international student assessment, which is known as PISA, the math results when it comes to the 2018 exam. But the, the 2022 math scores were not only lower than it was in 2012, but it was among the lowest ever measured uh, by PISA in mathematics for the U.S., and again, uh, th- this is this story is coming from Axios. So while the U.S. scored below the uh, average in math, it managed to score above uh, su- in some reading and, and science curriculum. Uh, but but the math results certainly seem to to be off. I-, I found a story here that that aired this summer. These were more focused on U.S. results, and I think what what's making the rounds uh, this week is is comparing to to other industrialized nations. But this is a story from ABC Seven in New York. Uh, with the headline here of math and reading scores for 13-year-olds in the U.S. plunged to the lowest level in decades. So a a story focused more uh, on this country. But let's listen. Educators say the statistics are stunning. Math and reading scores among 13-year-olds showed the largest drop in 50 years, now down to the levels back in 1990. Most parents have absolutely no idea 
how far behind their kids are. The results of a test known as the nation's report card showed scores in math dropped nine points from 2020 and 14 points from 2012. In reading, the scores dropped four points from 2020 and seven points from 2012. Barry Weiss owns Mathnasium in Sherman Oaks, and he saw the decline as children tried to learn from home during the pandemic. It isn't like they're just behind in fractions or they're just behind in multiplication. It's just they've missed a year or two of school. Shane D. Kreitenberg says she was able to help her children but saw how difficult it was to keep up. Because I work um, independently and from home, I was able to guide my children a little more, but I did see um, a lot of our social circle, our friends, you know, um, people surrounding us that the children really were struggling. Dr. Tyrone Howard is a professor of education at UCLA. We know that students across the board really struggled and the data show us that, but we have to drill down on those students who really fell behind. And we know who those students are. They're students who are growing up, growing up in poverty. They're students whose first language is English and they're black and Latino students. Experts worry it's going to take years to catch up and they say it's going to take cooperation between parents and educators to get students moving forward. So it talks about how pandemic setbacks appear to be lingering even as schools across the U.S. They spend billions of dollars to help students catch up. Uh, the federal government sent historic sums of money, as you know, to schools in 2021, allowing many to expand tutoring, summer classes, other recovery efforts. Uh, but sadly, we'll talk more about that coming up in our next segment. It seems that people are not taking advantage uh, or, or did not take advantage of of those programs. And I also thought this w- was quite interesting as well. Th- this all began um, a-, a few months ago with teachers coming forward on-, on TikTok, and they were talking about what they've seen as far as learning loss in, in their classrooms. So this all starts with a teacher who says his seventh graders are performing at a fourth grade level, uh, and you know they've never seen anything like it. Let- let's listen to what they had to say. I teach seventh grade, they are still performing on the fourth grade level. This is Marquise Bryant. He's a new teacher with some major concerns about his students. This is my third year teaching post-pandemic. And so I I had just got to the point where it's like, okay, why is no one talking about this? Many of the children in his seventh grade class are, he says, well behind where they should be. They don't know how to do basic computation, adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing. They don't know that ascend means go up, descend means go down. They don't know that quotient means divide. They don't know evaluate the expression means I just solved the problem. According to the National Assessment of Educational Progress, average test scores for 13-year-olds plummeted during the 2022 to 2023 school year when compared to pre-pandemic levels. On average, this age group, which is typically 8th grade, scored the lowest in math since 1990 and the lowest in reading since 2004. After Bryant recorded a TikTok video talking about what he was seeing, teachers from across the country began to respond, describing what it's like to witness pandemic learning loss firsthand. 7th grade teacher Angelique Shurens was one of them. It felt like a relief that a teacher was actually speaking about it in a public forum. These kids can't read. They can't decode. They have no vocabulary, no background knowledge. I've never seen anything like it. So going back then to this Axios story, talking about the, the bigger picture of 31 countries and economies maintained or improved improved upon their 2018 math scores, including Switzerland and Japan. And countries that did so shared some common characteristics, including shorter school closures during the pandemic. So they were open longer and, and uh, fewer 
uh, impediments to remote learning. Uh, there was obviously a lot of problems uh, with with remote learning here in this country. And and 10 countries in, e- in economies, Canada, Denmark, Finland, Hong Kong, Ireland, Japan, Korea, uh, Latvia, and in the UK, they saw their students score proficiently in all three domains, and they had high levels of socioeconomic fairness uh, that this report points to. So uh, this is also going to carry over into our next segment as well with the co-founder of Learning Heroes talking about uh, their latest report, which also ties into this uh, also. But but what's happening in, in this country seems to be obviously getting the attention of of not only parents, but but educators as well as they go on social media to sort of sound the the alarms. Uh, so just sort of the, the latest uh, deep dive into all of the effects from the pandemic. And obviously there will be more to, co- to come as this continues. Uh, but really measuring up with how these math scores uh, seem to be so low, uh, the lowest on record, uh, in in this country. So again, more coming up with the co-founder of Learning Heroes on all of this. You're listening to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. Before we go to break, get exclusive digital access to the most informative, nonpartisan, truthful news source for patriotic Americans. Discover a refreshing blend of time-honored values, principles, and insightful perspectives within the pages of the New American Magazine. Delve into a world where tradition is the foundation and exploration knows no bounds. From politics and finance to foreign affairs, environment, culture, and technology, we bring you an unparalleled array of topics that matter most. For more, visit thenewamerican.com slash educate25. It's a 25% off deal happening right now. Again, that is thenewamerican.com slash educate25. The New American, no more, do more. Again, that's thenewamerican.com slash educate25. Welcome back to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. All right, the report cards are in, and let's just say they are a bit shocking. Uh, the title of a new report, How Good Grades Can Sideline Parents. My next guest is the co-founder of Learning Heroes and a former senior official in the George W. Bush White House and U.S. Department of Education. Cindy Williams, I understand, is also the proud mom of two sons who have been educated in public schools, so it is it is possible. But Cindy, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. This really was an eye opener for me. This this report that I know has been out just just a couple of weeks now. But but tell us about this. It's a survey, basically a partnership uh, with Gallup and Learning Heroes. And and wow, I think the numbers certainly uh, raised some eyebrows. That was the point, Liz. The reality is, for the last six or seven years, we've been seeing this data, you know, in le- inside Learning Heroes and in our internal polling. But wanted to partner with Gallup as a world class brand and and an organization that I think the media, you know, also pays attention to, to just double check our work. And the results are in, and nearly nine in 10 parents in the United States of America believe their students are at or above grade level. And that's actually all parents. It's irrespective of race or income or geography, or even the parents' educational attainment. So uh, it is shocking that nearly nine in 10 parents believe that. It's, I believe, 88% for math and 89% for reading. Um, But it's also data that we've had inside Learning Heroes for some time. And just to be honest, we've had trouble getting people to pay attention to it. 
And so you give this uh, 9 and 10 stat of parents believing their child is at or above grade level. So tell us about what the National Assessment of Educational Progress uh, and Harvard Center for Education Policy Research actually shows as to, I guess, the, the awareness gap, as you're as you're calling it. Yeah, there's so many measures you can look at right now. You know, our headlines are, are so replete with the learning loss results and the pandemic and the NAEP scores. And as recently as yesterday, PISA and the drop in math to 33 in the world. But basically, um, if you're looking at an aggregate, it's less than half of our students are on grade level in reading wow. and math. If you start to disaggregate that, um, it can get much lower based on on race and income. Um, for our underserved populations. It also can get lower based on location. So let me just like give you an example. NAEP is, is a gold standard, but we also have state assessments, which many of your listeners are familiar with. Parents are used to receiving that state assessment sometime in the summer. And those assessments are aligned to your state standards. And so, for example, in the District of Columbia, only 10% of the students in the District of Columbia are proficient in math, but but 90% of those parents think they are. So the gaps can really fluctuate based on where you are, but it's certainly never greater than 50% and usually closer to a third. Again, we're talking to Cindy Williams, the co-founder of Learning Heroes, on how good grades can sideline parents. And, and I'm curious just about the, the sample size, how you guys went about gathering uh, this this information, because I know it was uh, quite a few people uh, who took part. Well, so Gallup has its own methodology. That is one of the reasons we partnered with them. They have one of the few truly representative samples um, where they're able to just guarantee that every um, demographic has been reached in the conversation with respect to parents. And so, you know, they sampled uh, 2,000 parents in this survey. But what is um, unique is not so much the the number, but the methodology and the way they go about selecting those those parents. Uh, talk about grade inflation. I know that's mentioned in this in this report, Cindy. Uh, explain uh, what that is and and how it's playing a role. Well, so basically what we've heard is that 80% of parents say their children are bringing home Bs or better. So when you cross that with the number of students that we know are proficient, and when you look at the, for example, the Harvard Learning Loss data uh, for the Center for Education Policy Research that you mentioned earlier, like when you look at that data, you can see by district what the learning loss numbers look like on the education recovery scorecard. And you can see that there's as much as a year's difference in learning between school districts that could be two miles apart. So um, so when you you see all the disparity across the U.S. and then you see kind of the, unan- the unanimous response of parents that 80 percent are receiving bees or better, you just know there's a lot of misinformation in that. And the reason is not as nefarious as it may sound. Um, grades represent a whole lot of different things, and it's pretty subjective. It can be attendance. It can be behavior. It can be effort, getting your homework done group projects, and also bundled into that is the mastery of the things that kids need to know and understand in each grade level. And so, you know, teachers have a a process in each school by which they're putting these grades together and their percentages of different things. And so because they're bundled, um, you just really don't know if your child is at or above grade level unless you ask. 
Yeah, and, and this is a part of your writing here, but in the past decades, uh, great inflation in high schools has been on the rise. It says a, a 2017 study by the College Board found that between 1998 and 2016, the average high school GPA went up um, from a 3.27 to 3.38. So this means the proportion of students with A grades increased from 38.9% of the graduating class of 1998 to 47% of the graduating class of, of 2016. Yet during that same period, SAT averages decreased, suggesting that the rising grades did not correlate with rising student achievement. That's exactly right. And then you add the pandemic to that, where right. the social and emotional challenges were so great and anxiety was at an all-time high for our teens and mental health was a challenge. And so, you know, schools and districts did the best they could to try to balance all of that with lack of instruction and, you know, all of the challenges that went with that. And so the great inflation sort of continued. And here we sit on the other side with a situation where it's very hard to know how your student is actually doing. But there's good news in this, which is, you know, there are all sorts of diagnostics that are taking place in the classroom. That is one of the greatest advancements of the last decade is real-time information that teachers are receiving that's embedded in curriculum. There's Lexile scores, there's MapGrow scores, there's Dibbles, there's iReady. There are in every school district, there's some assortment of real-time assessments taking place that are almost invisible to the student. So it's not onerous, but they're real. And so if a parent can go ask their school, what are the diagnostics taking place in the classroom that are aligned to grade level standards? They can go see those actual diagnostics and get a much better picture. For us, it's all about multiple measures. It's having several things, not just the report card at your disposal to be able to to get that accurate picture. And you also have, um, after COVID, a lot of money that was sort of thrown um, at this, spending billions of, of federal COVID uh, relief dollars, tutoring, summer school, extra uh, instructional time. Uh, but, but you've also found that there's very little demand uh, for those services in some cases. Amen, Liz. That has been one of the biggest sort of um, burdens that we have felt at Learning Heroes, which is just knowing this information, knowing that nearly nine in 10 parents think their kids are okay academically, and knowing that these resources that have been funded by the federal ESSER dollars are going untapped. So whether it's been all of the extra seats that have been put in place during summer school, or the additional hours that have been added to the school day for instructional time and after school tutoring, or like in Tennessee and, and Texas, you know, the, the in-school, in-person tutoring available to all kids not proficient. Like there've never been so many ways and resources to help kids catch up for parents not to opt in. And right. so when we've talked to parents, they've said, we're so glad that those resources are there for other kids, but my kid's fine. We're talking to Cindy Williams, the co-founder of Learning Heroes. We're going to get a bit of background uh, on Learning Heroes. That's coming up next. Stay tuned. Hey, America. How tired are you of mainstream corporate media's biased narratives and manipulated news? Their dishonesty and attempts to influence this generation have been exposed, put on display for anyone who's even half paying attention. But the New American Magazine has been an honest source of news and commentary for over 50 years. This is your opportunity to receive the stalwart of principled journalism at a deep discount. 
Picture a beautifully published magazine arriving at your doorstep twice a month, packed with insightful stories written with integrity. It's also available digitally on the New Americans mobile app. Get up to speed with intelligent coverage from a freedom perspective. Right now, for a limited time, The New American is available to radio listeners at a 25% discount on a new subscription. Visit thenewamerican.com slash radio25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com slash radio25. Welcome back to Educate. I'm Liz Collin, and we have the pleasure today of talking to Cindy Williams. She is the co-founder of Learning Heroes uh, about this new report, How Good Grades Can Sideline Parents. And before the break, we were talking a bit about uh, COVID dollars and and perhaps how there's not the demand uh, that that people once uh, thought there there would be with uh, these these extra uh, federal COVID relief dollars sort of flooding into to school districts for for extra tutoring. Uh, summer school, uh, you know, th- things of that nature. Uh, so I think that sort of leaves us, Cindy, with with what can parents do? Where do we go from here after a report like this, um, you know, seems to paint the picture that parents think, you know, perhaps things are fine, but, you know, the uh, the the data would suggest otherwise. There are lots of things you can do. Our research um, has shown that when parents receive two contradictory pieces of information, to the thing they thought they knew, that they're they're quick to change their mind. And, and in fact, in our research, we see that almost 60% of parents start to rethink that fact. So if you play that out and your child is receiving a B in math, but you find out that they've been placed in the lowest reading quartile of their, in their classroom, so the reading group is at the bottom end of the class, and then you see that state assessment, which usually comes in June or July, and that math score is in the bottom half. If your child's getting an A or B, those two pieces of contradictory information will usually flip the parent. So what Mm -hmm. I would say to parents who are listening is go get two pieces of information just to back up the thing you think you know. If you feel like your, your child is solid, then just go ask the teacher for two extra things. Look at that state assessment that by law, your state has to give and see where's my child in reading and in math, and then ask for one more thing. And if and if you're good, you're good. But chances are the majority of parents are not as strong as they think they are. And there's so many things parents can do once they know. We've seen it time and time again. I mean, Learning Heroes has the privilege of working with thousands of parents across the country and parent organizations. And whether you're in Memphis and working with Memphis Lift or you're uh, in Fort Worth and working with Fort Worth Shield, like once parents know, they act. And so then they tap into the tutoring at their school. They tap into online resources that are free, like Zern. They tap into the things on Learning Heroes website that give you a lot of agency. There's a parent teacher planning tool. There's a readiness check, which lets you go on and spend five or six minutes taking a small quiz with your child on the key things they're supposed to know in each grade level just to see how they do. It's a gut check, right? But there are so many ways now to go figure it out and then also to get the information you need to fill in those gaps. And Cindy, talk about how much of an issue is just uh, school communication or just that process itself here. 
So there is no process, which I love that you asked this question. I mean, the idea that you're going to get what you need from a parent-teacher meeting is just not true. That's the only real process we have in place. It happens in October. There may have been some beginning of the year diagnostics, but really what happens in that 15-minute time frame is usually you're looking at a piece of art or a nice letter your child wrote, or you're talking about a behavioral issue, but you don't usually walk away from that meeting with crucial academic data. And so that is one of the things on our on our website. We're a nonprofit and we're established to equip parents to be better advocates for their kids. And you'll see a parent-teacher planning tool. And it's just a protocol. It's a piece of paper you take to that parent-teacher meeting where you ask the right questions. Is my child on grade level in reading? Is my child on grade level in math? What are the diagnostics that you have inside your classroom that would support that? What are the actual gaps in the foundational skills that you see that you know are going to be stackable, that if they miss the decoding of words, if they miss the addition of of fractions, that they're going to be off base for the rest of their math or reading career. So we just, um, we have to lean in and we have to be tougher consumers um, of our of our school product, but we also have to come to it with a spirit of collaboration because right now there is no process for teachers to share this data. There's no expectation. There's nothing that supports them in the doing of it. And these conversations are hard. No parent wants to hear that their child is not meeting expectations. You're listening to Cindy Williams. She is the co-founder of Learning Heroes about this new report, How Good Grades Can Sideline parents. And I am interested in in that, first of all, if you can tell people where to go for more information on your organization. And then let's let's talk about how how you got your start and, and, you know, sort of the mission behind all of this. Sure. Well, our site, again, Learning Heroes is a mission-oriented nonprofit. We were literally established for the sole purpose of equipping parents to be the best advocate they can be for their child's academic and emotional learning. And so if you go to our site, you'll see all the tools and resources that are there, um, whether that's the parent-teacher planning tool or the readiness check or the five questions to ask your teacher or the resources that exist that are free and online, like a Zern, a Salcon. Um, There are so many things. We have the resources, again, in English and in Spanish. Um, Univision has been a long partner. We've worked really hard to make sure that our translations are authentic and strong. And so we just encourage your listeners to, to go there. And it's BeALearningHero.org, correct? It is, but if you Google LearningHeroes.org, which is a little bit easier to remember for your listeners, it'll pull right up. And how about your um, history with all of this, Sidney? Why is this something uh, you you felt there, there was a need for? Thank you for asking. You know, I got my start at the White House when we were... Uh, advocating for No Child Left Behind. I had the privilege of working for a brave woman leader named Margaret Spellings, who was leading domestic policy and went from there to the U.S. Department of Education, where we put a lot of these practices in place. And there's no perfect law. And and that that piece of legislation has been much maligned, but there's so many things about it that were righteous. And one of them was just having high expectations for our students learning in our schools and holding schools accountable for actually delivering that information. And so I went from there to Foundation World, um, got to to work at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for some time and was on the giving end of things. And in all of those experiences, parents were missing. We never saw parents at the 
table. They didn't have a seat in the conversation, but probably more importantly, they weren't considered the problem solvers and assets and solution-oriented actors that we knew they were. At the time, Bib Hubbard, who was the president and CEO of Learning Heroes, and I were both raising our kids in the public school and even doing this work for a living, we didn't know how our kids were doing. Now, we knew where to get the tools and resources to figure it out, but it was a sort of a lived experience that drew us to start this organization. That's great. And I, I, are you finding that I, I feel like just as a, a reporter on the on the sidelines my, myself here a bit that I've never seen such an interest in, in education. I know the pandemic had a, had a lot to, to do with that, but it must also be uh, someone like you, a, a bit of a relief that, that people seem to be to be waking up and, and wanting to you know re- reclaim their 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 kids educations. Absolutely. And I do think the pandemic had a lot to do with it. I mean, parents had a front row seat to what their children we're learning or we're not learning during that time. I think even though parents hold themselves primarily responsible, particularly in the early years for their child's learning, you know, the pandemic took it up a notch or two and and you were creating the space for them. You were making sure they were in front of their computer. You were doing all the things that made you even more hands-on. And I think, um, that's been one of the sort of downstream positive consequences of of the pandemic is a is a much deeper engagement in our kids' learning. Well, Cindy Williams, I know uh, so many pre so many people uh, appreciate the the work you're doing. Uh, and, and one last time, just just give us your website. Sure. If you Google learningheroes.org, you'll you'll it'll pull right up. But be a learning hero, which is what we want every parent to feel like they're equipped to do. And you can head there to take a look more at how good grades can sideline parents and give us all a bit of an action plan. But again, Cindy Williams, co-founder of Learning Heroes. We appreciate the time so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to your listeners today. Again, you're listening to Educate. This show is brought to you by The New American. For more, visit thenewamerican.com. We'll be right back. The New American Magazine powers The Educate Show, featuring in-depth articles and news analysis, culture, and politics. The New American can arrive on your doorstep bi-weekly in a beautifully published physical copy or digitally on their new mobile app. Bring yourself up to speed with intelligent coverage from a constitutional perspective. Now, for a limited time, visit thenewamerican.com educate25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com educate25. Leftist propaganda, endless pronouns, critical race theory, sexually explicit books, accessible to minors, and more. Our public education system, it seems, is a complete mess. That's why you should consider Freedom Project Academy. They've perfected online learning, offering live, on-demand, and homeschool courses for K-12. Freedom Project Academy was built on Judeo-Christian values and classical curriculum. Visit freedomforschool.com. That is freedom, F-O-R, school.com to request your free information packet. We can't afford to hand over another generation to the left, so take back your child's education. Once again, visit freedomforschool.com. That's freedom, F-O-R, school.com. Welcome back to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. We're here to take a deep dive into the central issues of education on this show, providing criticism, positive solutions to problems, and we're also showing you ways to get involved, to show up, to stand up, 
and speak up, as I like to say, on behalf of our kids. Now, we just wrapped up today our conversation with Cindy Williams from Learning Heroes. She's also a a former senior official in the George W. Bush White House and U.S. Department of Education, talking about how parents can get off the sidelines, get more involved, interpret those report cards because they can be difficult to figure out exactly what you're looking at. But in New Zealand, schools there are saying, hold the phone. Switching gears to to this story here, but cell phones are going to be banned in schools across New Zealand, as conservative Prime Minister Christopher Luxon said uh, just recently, as his fledgling government looks to turn around the country's plummeting literacy rates. This story here uh, was making news on Breitbart, but talking about how New, New Zealand conservative government will ban cell phones in in schools. But New Zealand's schools once boasted some of the world's best literacy scores, but levels of reading and writing have declined to the point that some researchers fear there is a classroom crisis. So Luxon declared that he would ban phones at schools within his first 100 days in office, uh, adopting a policy that has had mixed results so far in the United States, United Kingdom, and France. And the move would stop disruptive behavior, he says, and help students focus. So again, making this campaign promise uh, several months ago while on the trail, and uh, found found a story from News Hub here where he is uh, inside a classroom and talking about this very promise. So let's go ahead and listen. Christopher Luxon's classroom goal is simple. They're teaching uh, basics brilliantly to our kids. Reading, writing, math, an hour a day on each. But there's another problem plaguing schools. So on mobile phones, what's the deal here with kids? Like, do they have to check you and give them yeah. the answer? Technology troubles. Because, you know, phones are a distraction, big distraction, big distraction, and um, particularly with the different things you can do with a phone these days. Two weeks ago, the UN called for a global ban of smartphones in schools. Luxon seems to quite like that. We are very focused on making sure we lift academic achievement in New Zealand. And when I talk to principals, but also to parents, uh, you know, they do say that mobile phones are a distraction. So we may have more to say about that very shortly. Again, that is New Zealand's... Prime Minister Christopher Luxon talking about, this is a a few months ago, just talking about his promise to ban cell phones and now making making good uh, on that promise. But but he talks about how he's going to ban phones across uh, New Zealand schools because we want our kids to learn, simply, and we want our teachers to teach, as controversial as that seems to be these days. But researchers uh, in this report from New Zealand uh, Charity Education Hub, they warned of literacy a literacy crisis in 2022, finding more than one third of 15 year olds could barely read or write. And uh, that's something must be done to address the distressingly low literacy rates in New Zealand is clear, Luxon went on to say. So taking a look at what's happening in this country, uh, in the U.S., but more than three quarters of schools, uh, this report online says uh, 76.9% prohibited non-academic use of cell phones or smartphones during school hours. I'm surprised that that's not not more, but uh, nearly 80%. Uh, this was d- during the 2019-2020 the school year. According to the most recent data from the National Center for Education Statistics, that's up it says from 70.3% back in 2017, 2018, as it seems like more kids obviously have phones, of course, than, than ever before. But in, in 2020, government data found almost 80% of schools ban cell phones. Um, but enforcement is really the issue here. It varies widely around the nation. The Washington Post editorial board endorsed cell phone bans in schools uh, recently, saying parents should welcome and support schools 
in this effort. So we thought perhaps what's happening in New Zealand will likely be here soon. The results revealed that ringing cell phones in the class were the most commonly reported external distraction for students. Um, so I think people are, are obviously uh, on to this, that, that this is a distraction. I thought this was an interesting approach as well. This is a story out of Alabama sort of taking matters into their own hands uh, with with mixed results so far as anything seems to, to be that is that is new. But it's talking about how middle and high school students in Alabama, uh, this one particular school district, they're now required to lock away their cell phones in pouches uh, before the bell rings. So there's these little gray pouches that basically you're kind of locking locking your phone up in uh, for the course of the day. They almost look like a bit of an oven oven mitt, uh, I would say. But this uh, this reporter is uh, with NBC News having the details as how the, the schools across the U.S., they're implementing these new rules to prevent students from going on their phones in class. So let's take a minute here and listen. At Montgomery, Alabama's Carver High, the morning rush to school is now a morning rush to scroll. New this year, middle and high school students now forced to lock away their phones before the bell rings. When did they get it back? 245. 2.45. Right. Principal Gary Hall pushed for the policy and the pouch to enforce it. They were texting, tweeting, you name it, while classes were going on. Put it in the pouch, then. Here's how it works. At the beginning of the day, students put their cell phones in these pouches. Once it's locked, it is really hard to get back open. They can keep it with them, they just can't open them. They're sealed. This unlocking magnet, the only thing designed to free them. It's not completely foolproof. We found a lot of cell phone cases with no phone. For students, show of hands, who doesn't like the pouch? It's a painful adjustment. I just love watching TikTok, so I gotta have my phone. Why don't you like the pouch? I don't like the pouch because like, when I'm in math class, I take pictures of the notes and stuff. What's your favorite part? We communicate more with each other now than our So again, that's what a district in Alabama is doing with the cell phone problem, making kids lock them away. Uh, in a strange-looking oven mitt <laughs> to, to keep them out of sight, out of mind, uh, with mis- mixed results, as you could uh, hear from from the students and the reporter as well from NBC News. But, you know, just, just taking a look around if cell phone bans actually work, uh, proponents say no phone rules, of course, reduce student distractions and bullying, uh, but critics say the bans could hinder student self-direction and critical thinking. Uh, so, uh, so again, just mixed results you're, you find on, online. Uh, but how many schools in the U.S. have banned phones in schools altogether? That seems to be difficult to find as well, just kind of hovering around this uh, 70 to 80 percent of public schools, you know, saying they, they are not allowed for non-academic use. However, you hear teachers make the argument that it's taking up too much of their time, you know, to, to tell students, put your phones away, put your phones away. Uh, so that takes away... Uh, from some of their time in the classroom uh, as well. But we'll have to see what happens in New Zealand. And uh, obviously this is happening elsewhere. Sometimes the U.S. is late to to jump on board. But talks about how a ban could lead to more students being disciplined. Perhaps, I don't know why that's a a bad thing. But then again, that discipline, particularly if students are removed from class or schools, could interfere with, with learning. Students may also sense a decline in school culture, leading them to feel less safe and less respected uh, as students. This is, seems to be the way that they communicate with one another. Now, um, maybe perhaps we should go back to people looking one another in the eye 
you know, and uh, speaking to each other, as crazy as that sounds. But uh, math scores uh, plummeting in the wake of, of COVID and more, how to interpret math scores and interpret our report cards as well. We've covered a lot on this show today. And cell phone bans. Uh, yeah, we got, in, got into a lot of issues on Educate. A reminder that I'm your host, Liz Collin. We thank you so much for tuning in. Get exclusive digital access to the most informative, nonpartisan, truthful news source for patriotic Americans. Discover a refreshing blend of time-honored values, principles, and insightful perspectives within the pages of the New American Magazine. Perhaps a great Christmas gift here for someone. Delve into a world where tradition is the foundation and exploration knows no bounds. From politics and finance to foreign affairs, environment, culture, and technology— we bring you an unparalleled array of topics that matter most. For more, visit thenewamerican.com slash educate25. Self-reliance. It's not a phrase we hear much of in our culture these days. But what does it mean for us in today's world? Is it even relevant? The New American Magazine has just released its latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. In it, the New American authors outline the necessity of self-reliance for a free people and the importance of not giving up hope. Now, for a limited time, The New American is offering a bundle of three collector's editions, Self-Reliance, The Great Reset, and Trump World for just $19.95. A great stocking stuffer, available at shopjbs.org. Have you ever heard someone say, the system's broken? Sure you have. Well, it's not true. America's founders created a brilliant governing system that prevents us from having kings, queens, dictators, and even czars. We the people can replace every elected official in a span of six years if we so choose. Here at the John Birch Society, we believe the only way to liberty, prosperity, and national sovereignty is not only understand what's in our founding documents, but demand that every elected official adheres to them. The reason we have a ballooning, reckless, and corrupt government is because elected officials aren't following the Constitution. The John Birch Society is principled, coordinated, effective activism. We believe the Constitution is the solution. Join JBS and change America. Visit JBS.org or call 1-800-JBS-USA-1 to get involved. That's JBS.org. 